Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you. I'm sorry to say good to see you, but I can't see you. Uh, I got thoughts about this weather. Y'all know I got thoughts about this weather. I'm going to try to keep my thoughts to myself. Uh, but all I got to say is nobody ever canceled church in the summer. You never cancel church because the weather's too perfect, people. Do you understand? Never, ever happens. Uh, let's just say there are 63 days until spring, 63 days. And uh, I'm not wishing my life away, but, uh, but I look forward to a, uh, to, to a new season. Uh, if you've got your Bible, open it to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is where we'll be today. It's a very difficult text. Uh, we'll walk through it together, but uh, uh, I, I wish you were here. Uh, I've never thought of preaching as something that I do by myself. It's not a performance. I always think of preaching as something we do together, and so uh, I need you today uh, in, in your prayers and your participation. Uh, open the Word of God to Romans chapter 5, and, and, and let's uh, look at that together. I'm in the middle now of a sermon series entitled Lost. We're talking about what it means to live outside of Christ, apart from Jesus, which is the way most of the world lives. The very first week, we started back in Genesis and talked about how we all got so lost. We talked about the tragic fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Uh, Last week, we talked about how all of us are lost. Everyone is lost. And deep down, at some gut level, we all know that we are lost. We talked about how uh, everybody experiences that lostness until you find Christ, until Christ finds you. Today I want us to talk about what God has done. God uh, was never going to abandon his creation. He was never going to forsake uh, us, even though we have forsaken him, never going to turn his back upon us. So God has made a way for us to be brought back to him. And that's where we pick up in Romans chapter 5 today, verse 12. And I know some of you have a great burden to be able to share the gospel and talk about Christ with your lost friends, family members, and neighbors. I just want you to understand, you don't have to be able to explain everything in Romans chapter 5 in order to tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. This is here for those of us on the other side of salvation who want to stop and try and take apart, how did this happen? How did Jesus' death affect me? How did God's great plan of salvation unfold? This is us as believers looking back to try to understand, but you don't have to know all this to share Christ, and you don't have to know all this to receive Christ. This is a deep dive into how God saves us. In Romans chapter 5, uh, actually, start, start back in verse 8. I, I love this verse. This isn't even part of the preaching passage today, but this is simply the way, in a nutshell, uh, the gospel is explained to us in Romans chapter 5. It says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God showed his great love for us to send his son to die for us while we were still sinners. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Now, anybody can understand that and anybody can share that. Uh, but now what follows uh, in the verses below, it, this is a deeper dive and let's jump into it. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 12. To understand exactly how the plan of salvation has unfolded, we got to go all the way back again to Adam, back to Genesis. And this is where Paul picks up in Romans chapter 5 verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but but it wasn't counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still everyone died. 
From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol. This is an important verse. Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's deep, but it's good. Ben Hooper was the two-time governor of Tennessee back in the day. By his own account, he was born an illegitimate son to a single mom, born out of wedlock. Back in the day when that was absolutely unspeakably shameful, and Ben wore that shame his entire life. This was back in the day and back in the small towns of Tennessee when uh, if somebody met you, the first question they're going to ask you is, uh, who are your people? You know, who's your family? Who's your father? And Ben never knew his father. His father, for whatever reason, never really seemed to think that Ben was important enough to hang around, so Ben never knew his father. He was raised by a single mom until she couldn't take care of him anymore, and then he was dropped off at St. John's Orphanage in Knoxville, Tennessee, back in the day. He was eventually uh, adopted by the Hoopers, uh, fine people who gave him a name and a home, but they could not take away his shame. Young Ben went to school every day, and at recess he hid from the other children. Uh, Everybody knew, and everybody talked, and everybody continued to remind Ben that that, that he was the boy with no family, the boy with no father, the, the illegitimate bastard son, and that's how he grew up. He would hide from other kids at recess. He would avoid people as much as he could. He never, ever wanted to have to face the truth of where he had come from. He never went to church until at one point uh, that the church close by his house got a new pastor, new preacher back in those days. And so uh, people started going to listen to the new preacher preach. They said he was pretty good. So Ben, as a boy, just took himself to church. He had never really heard preaching, but he heard this preacher and he, he liked what he heard. He really began to respond 
But at the same time, he didn't want to deal with the people. Everybody knew who he was. Everybody knew where he had come from. Everybody knew he had no daddy. And so Ben would try to come in late, and he'd try to leave early. So sometimes even before the sermon was over, he'd slip out because he did not want to face the people. He didn't want to have to explain to anybody who he was, who his people were, where he'd come from. One day the sermon was really good. <laughs> ben says that sermon was amazing and so good he forgot to get up and leave. And so he ended up staying through the final amen. And then all of a sudden, you know, all of the aisles, you know, filled with the crowd of people leaving church. And, and the little boy Ben was caught in that crowd. He, he sort of panicked. He wasn't used to having to face people. And then in the middle of that panic, all of a sudden, he felt this big hand heavy on his shoulder. He, he turned around. It, it was the pastor. The pastor said, son, what's your name? Who's your daddy? Ben said at that moment he died inside. That was the one question he was always determined to run away from. But it's kind of like Paul says right in Romans chapter 5. We really just can't run away from where we come from. When it comes to your family, nobody gets to choose what family you're born into. You know, you're just born into the family. And as it turns out, every single one of us is born into the same terrible family. It's the human family. Every single one of us have the same terrible parents, Adam and Eve. Every single one of us has the very same deadbeat dad, Adam. And what did he ever give us? Nothing but trouble. Our entire inheritance from our first father, Adam, is nothing but trouble. Let me just sort of go over some of what our inheritance is from Adam. We talked about some of this last week and the week before. Shame. If we get anything from being born as the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, it's shame. Now, if you remember the story of how they fell, Shame was one of the most immediate consequences of their sin. I said that some of those consequences kicked in immediately. Others took more time to sort of be made manifest in human life. But shame was instantaneous. The scripture says that in the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, instantly they became aware of their nakedness. It's it's a way of explaining what all of us have felt. that, That fear of being exposed. I think sometimes we call it imposter syndrome. It's that feeling that, that, that deep down inside, you know you're not what you're supposed to be. You know you're not you know, what other people think you are. And you're always sort of living with this fear of being exposed. So Adam and Eve instantly had that sense of shame. That, that deep sense, not just that they had done something wrong, but now they were wrong. The scripture says that they tried to make these little, you know, pasty things out of leaves to, to cover themselves. But there was no way to cover. There was no way to hide. It was this constant sense of dangerous vulnerability, frightening shame. And, and it's one of the things that we can thank our father Adam for. Alienation. Also rather instantaneous when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, the alienation from one another. Whereas previously they had been able to walk with one another and with the Lord in perfect love and perfect harmony. But sin destroyed that. 
Sin destroys relationships. That's why for you and me, most of our difficulty in life comes from other people. Most of our difficulty comes in relationships. Sin has mostly to do with the ways in which we interact with with other people. And I'm telling you, because of sin, because of what we have inherited from our first parents now, alienation is our inheritance. We're constantly overwhelmed with this sense of of, of loneliness, but, but at the same time, this difficulty and trying to connect with other people. But, but, but that's not even the biggest part of it. The, the most tragic alienation for us is, is that alienation from God. Sin separates us from the God who made us, the God who is holy. And whereas Adam and Eve were able to live in, in that direct presence, in the intimacy and, 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 and just sweet fellowship with the God who made them, you and I have not known that apart from Christ. It's, it's alienation. As I said last week, and as I will say over and over and over, I, I firmly believe that every single person feels this sense of alienation. They know that they are somehow removed from, from the God who made them, although a lot of lost people, most people, they can't put that into words. They may not even necessarily know that, that it is a God-shaped hole that, that forms this, 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 this gaping, yawning, empty space you know, in their heart. But, but it is God for whom you were made. And without God, you'll never find any kind of peace. You ever seen a kid that loses a tooth and then they'll spend days like putting their tongue back in that place. You know what I mean? You, you can't stop that. That tongue can't stop returning to the place where the tooth was lost. And that's how your heart is in relationship to the God with whom you, you're now experiencing this separation. Your heart keeps reaching back out for God. You may not know his name. You may not even know that it is, it, it is God that, that, that your heart longs for. But make no mistake, your heart longs for him. I've talked to Grieving people who've lost a loved one who say that, you know, you know they'll just walk over to the phone and pick it up and, and, and just, they, they think to call that person and they have to constantly remind themselves that that that, that person is, is gone. It's, the heart won't let go. And, and I would say that when it comes to, to our, our lostness, our hearts continue to be restless in this way. We keep reaching out for this God whom we used to know, but whom now, you know, we experience only alienation and, and separation. Our heart continues to return to that place, but but, but that warm fellowship with our maker is no longer there for us. Alienation is part of the inheritance we get from Adam and Eve. Frustration. In the curse, as it's explained in the book of Genesis, you know, Adam is told from now on, you're going to continue to work like you've always worked. But from now on, the ground's going to produce thorns and thistles. You know, I, I'm not any kind of farmer. For a while, Casey and I tried to raise a garden. You know, I would spend money on seeds and money on fertilizer, and I would till that ground, and I mean, I would get down there on my knees, and I'd kiss that ground, and I would do everything perfect, you know, to try to raise squash and cucumbers and sweet corn and all the wonderful vegetables that we love. And you know what? It, it turns out it's pretty hard to grow vegetables. I mean, you can sow perfect seed. You can water it. You, you can put the fertilizer to it. And I'm telling you, squash may or may not come up. Cucumbers may or may not come up, but the weeds will come up all by themselves. You don't have to plant weeds. You don't have to do anything to invite the weeds. They just come. And, and this is what our lives are like now. 
The, the things in life that are valuable, the things in life that are worth having, have to be waited for and, and worked for. But, but the other, the weeds in your life, they'll just grow. They'll just grow. You want a good marriage? You have to work on that. Do you want to grow apart and learn to hate each other? You can do that without even trying. Understand? Our lives are just characterized with this frustration. I remind you, most lost people don't know why it is that life is so hard. They don't understand why they're so frustrated, why everything is harder than it's supposed to be, why nothing is ever as it was advertised. But I'm telling you, it's part of our inheritance from our father Adam. Life is now full of frustration. It's also full of sin, pain, and death. Do I even need to have to explain those? Our life is a difficult journey that ends in death. We came from the dust and we returned to the dust. And this journey from dust to dust is a journey of lostness and alienation and separation and frustration, but that's not how it was meant to be. It was never meant to be this way. This is our inheritance from our our father Adam. Verse 12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone because why? Because everyone sinned. As I said last week and the week before, it's not just that you know, Adam sinned and therefore just sort of poisoned the entire human race. It's not just Adam's story. That's my story. And this is what Paul underlines here. The reason that you know, Adam's sin affects you and me is because I sinned. I've lived Adam's story. I I myself have chosen sin. I've turned away from the Lord God who made me. I have chosen this. And and so now understand, every single one of us now is just born into this family. We're born into this with this inheritance from Adam and, and from Eve. And there's no way out. You don't get to choose the family into which you're born. You don't get to choose your parents. And, and, and this is the, the human family. This is our situation. This is our horrible, pitiful plight. And there's no way out. You understand? There, there's no way out. Except that God made a way. Understand? There's no way out, no, no human way out. But, but God made a way. And this is what Romans 5 is all about. And, and I love it. Now, notice, it goes all the way back to Adam. Now, I think I said this to you last week. And, and those of you who've read the book of Romans, you remember that the book of Romans is, is, is always dealing with this one big question. And it's that question of how it is that you have both Jews who had the Old Testament, they had the law, they had the Ten Commandments, they had the prophets. How it is that the Jews and the Gentiles, the pagans, you know, all of the heathens out there that didn't have the Bible, didn't have the Ten Commandments, don't care about the prophets. How it is you have Jews and Gentiles who get saved in the same way. How there's one plan of salvation that somehow saves the entire human family, even though the Jews had the benefit of the law and the prophets and the Gentiles are just heathens, you know. And yet everybody is saved the same way. How is that? How is there one plan of salvation that saves the whole world? Because we all got the same problem. And the problem is, right, sin. The problem is sin. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. Now, Paul doesn't spend any kind of energy trying to explain exactly how Adam's sin gets into me. 
I don't know if it's in my DNA. I don't know. But it is as if every child born drinks from this poison well from Adam. And one way or the other, we all somehow inherit the same sin, that same sin nature. Now, Paul doesn't explain exactly how I'd love to know, and this is one of those things that people argue about, do we inherit his guilt or just Adam's sin nature? I say just his sin nature, but inevitably I sin as well. That's what Paul says. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone because everyone sins. You understand? But because everyone sins. I have guilt of my own. I don't need Adam's guilt. I managed to find guilt for myself because I sin. Paul doesn't necessarily explain how that works, but he just sort of emphasizes the fact that sin and death go together. It's what God said, if you, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. Sin and death go together. And for the simple reason that everybody dies, Paul just says, well, there you go. Now you know everybody sins. Death and sin go together. All of us died. Death characterizes our entire life, and for that reason, Paul just thinks it's obvious, therefore we all sin. Sin and death, they go together. But notice this, I love this. Uh, This is at the end of verse 14. Now, Adam, the reason Paul brings this up, Adam is a a symbol, a representation. The the word there is is type. We might say a a prototype. He's a prototype of Christ. Paul is going to set up this amazing comparison of Adam and Jesus, and it's amazing. Now, what's he doing? Why is he taking us back to Adam? Because, remember, he wants to explain how it is that Jews and Gentiles are somehow saved according to one plan, according to one sacrifice, according to the work of Christ. And so he just reminds us that Jews or Gentiles, it don't matter. We are all sons and daughters of the same deadbeat father. His name is Adam. So Paul takes us all the way back to Adam so that he can talk about how we're one big human, you know, human race, human family in Adam. So Jesus now gives us a possibility of an entire new humanity. There is a new humanity because of Christ, because Christ is, you could say, the second Adam. Paul's going to set up here a comparison between the first Adam and what we could say the second Adam, who is Jesus. Because Adam is a a prototype, a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. Verse 15, but there is a great difference. You can only make the comparison between Adam and Jesus if you understand that you can't really compare Adam and Jesus. If you read through this passage, I've underlined all the places where Paul uses the word great or or greater. There's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. The forgiveness to the many is greater. Greater is God's wonderful grace. Even greater is God's wonderful grace. I mean, mean, Paul continues to to, to compare Jesus to Adam and sort of say Jesus is the second Adam. But it only works if you understand that Jesus is infinitely more, infinitely more than Adam. The bottom line is, it takes more power to save us than it took to get us lost. So Adam is not that great, because as it turns out, you can fall into sin by doing nothing. I mean, you know, you can't. It really doesn't take a lot of effort to sin, to fall, but to save us, this, this takes God's great power. 
It takes this infinite holiness of Jesus who comes out of God's great love to save us. So understand, you can only really make this comparison if you understand that you can't really make this comparison. The power it takes to save us is much, much greater than the power that it took to get us lost. Verse 15, there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. Notice the comparison there. Adam's sin, his transgression, and God's gift. So in what follows, Paul's going to explain the difference. So in other words, we've talked about our inheritance from Adam. And now we can talk about what Christ has done for us. Bottom line, Christ got you out of the mess that Adam got you into. What Adam did, Christ undid. Undoes, undid. I don't know exactly how I should say that. Christ got you out of the mess. Adam got you into what Adam did. Christ has undid, undone. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Now, I remind you, what Christ does for us is so much greater, infinitely greater, so much greater. Like, never have you really probably thought that that all God ever wanted for us was just to walk around naked in a garden like Adam and Eve. So what Christ does, the eternal life that Jesus offers is so much more, so much more. He's not, Jesus didn't come to make us like Adam, understand? He came to make us like Christ, to make us like himself, to to remake us completely in in the very image, the the perfect holiness of, of, of the God who saves us. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. Let's talk about the inheritance that we have in Christ. Now, I said what Adam gave us, and nothing but trouble we could say, but Jesus gives us grace and forgiveness. This is what Paul says. Grace and forgiveness are part of this gift. It's a gift. It's a gift, which means there's nothing you can do to earn it. I mean, some of us, we spend so much energy, so much time. We spend so much of our lives trying to earn something that God just gives us freely. It's grace and forgiveness. We're talking about sin here. It's the forgiveness of our sin. Now, as we said, Adam was the first sinner, but we all just fell right in line. I'm telling you, the pile that Adam stepped in, we've never been able to get the smell off of our shoe. It just follows us. Sin follows you. I mean, some of you have spent so many sleepless nights, so many days of your life, agonizing, beating yourself up over the things that you've done, the things that you left undone, the things that you said, the things that you should have said. And and sin has a way of following us. That guilt has a way of overwhelming us. And this is the good news. Jesus brings us grace and forgiveness. Uh, The the word that Paul uses over and over is is, is justified. Justified never sin. My sin is taken away. It's not just that, you know, it's forgiven, yes, but, but, but God makes it so that in God's eyes, I'm not even guilty anymore. I'm made in a right relationship. I'm restored. I'm justified. It's as if I never, ever sinned. God completely removes our sin because of Jesus. That grace and forgiveness come from him. And with that, a right relationship with God. I said that because of Adam, Paul says that because of Adam, we have this alienation, this separation from the God who made us. But Jesus makes it possible for us to have a right relationship with him now. I'm telling you, you were created for God. You were made to know him. 
You were made to have your own heart satisfied by the things that come only from him. You're created for his love. It's his love and only his love that gives you that sense of of acceptance, that, that sense of identity. Everything in this whole world, everything in your life that you've ever been looking for, it's only found in God. And it's only in Jesus that you can be put back into that right relationship with him. As if you'd never fallen, as if you'd never sinned, as if there were never any separation. It's absolutely amazing. Jesus is the beloved son of God. It's Jesus who had that right relationship with the father. But Jesus took your place. He traded places with you. He who knew no sin became sin itself so that you could be made into the righteousness of God. You could be put in a right relationship with God. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? He traded places with you. He was the beloved son. You were the sinner. He became sin itself so that you could become God's favored daughter, God's beloved son. You are now in a right relationship with God because of Jesus. Is that not amazing? Grace and forgiveness, a right relationship with God, and a new triumphant life. I love what Paul says. It's down in verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death. Through this one man, Jesus Christ. Remember Adam and Eve, they were created, placed in the garden, and they were given dominion. It's an old time, that's a Genesis word. They were given dominion over everything, over all the creatures, over the garden. They were there to, 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 to take control, right? In the image of God, to sort of be as God, to do God's work, to, to take that dominion that God gave them. But in the fall, we we lost that. We still have this desire, for the most part, in most of us, it's, it's twisted now. This desire to control, to control people, to be in control of our lives. It's an effect of sin. We were created to have this dominion, but now because of sin, we just want to control, but we have no control. Now I got control over nothing. My wife... God bless you, sweetie. I know you're watching right now. I, I love you. I miss you so much. We, we have a heated mattress pad because, you know, we're both always cold, like always cold. And so we have a heated mattress pad, which typically, my side's on about a three because we have separate controls, and her side's at about a one, you know, because she's already sleeping with all this hot stuff right here, you know, so she doesn't need the same heat. Casey gone right now. I turned her side of the bed up to 10 last time, just trying to find some heat, you know, a a source of heat. I I was freezing. I was also laying there all night, like awake, watching it snow, trying to figure out, we're going to have church, we're not going to have church. And and I'm not in control of any of this, but I want control. I had two weather apps going. Like, I didn't sleep all night, y'all. I'm up looking at weather apps, you know, trying to find out, you know, if one says one to three inches and one says two to five. And I'm thinking, what? You know, I mean, all of this, it's this desire to be in control, this desire to know things that I just can't know, this desire to have certainty where there is no certainty. I mean, this is just what life is like. We were created to have this dominion that we just don't have. We don't control anything. We don't control the snow. We don't control nothing. And worst of all, we don't control ourselves very well. It's it's bad enough to not be able to control the weather, but 
I can't control that ugly voice in myself, you know, that, that says things, makes me think things that I don't really want to think or say, you know, but I, I can't turn that off. I find myself doing things I never wanted to do. I said I'd never do, and I find myself doing those very things. Paul talks about that. It's just incredible lack of control. But, 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 but this is the inheritance that Christ, Christ gives us. And Paul's promise here that, that when you receive this gift of righteousness and this right relationship with God that only Christ can bring, you have this new triumph over sin. Triumph over sin and death. And I love that. It's a life of victory, you all. It's victory. That, that control that you'll never have, understand, you don't even need it anymore because now you have Christ. You have the Holy Spirit, and he gives you power that you've never had and that you can never have apart from him. You can now live this life of power. You can now live this life of victory, of triumph over sin and death. Now, can I stop right there for a second? I've been talking now for weeks about what it's like to be lost. And I suppose that there should be this contrast between lost people and, and, and saved people, right? I mean, in, in the song Amazing Grace, which we all love, we say, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Problem is, a whole lot of us who say we once were lost, but now we're found, we still think and live like lost people. Paul here says there's this triumphant life that comes with Christ. And the problem is a whole lot of us that say we belong to Christ, we do not share his power. We do not live with his triumph. And I'm telling you, there's something really broken. There's something still profoundly wrong in your spiritual life, in your Christian life. When you say that you have Christ, but you continue to live this life that is still under the control of sin and death. Are you with me? Even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Sin has no control. A death has no control over you. We cannot live like lost people because we're not lost people. This is the inheritance that Christ gives. Like I say, you can't choose what family you're born into. You can't choose your parents. And we all got stuck with Adam and Eve and we've lived in the same sin that they stepped in years and years and years ago. And there was no escape for us until God made an escape. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is your inheritance. So Ben said mostly when he went to church, he would try to come in late and leave early because he really didn't want to have to face questions. A small town Tennessee back in the day when you, it was, it was shameful, it was scandalous, it was something people talked about if you were the illegitimate son of a single mom who gave you up. I mean, you know, Ben grew up with that feeling that he wasn't enough, he wasn't good enough as, Mama didn't want him. His daddy didn't even think he was enough to stay for, you know. So he spent all of his childhood running from that, running from that question, trying to run from where he came from. He never wanted to have to deal with that question. Who's your daddy? What's your name, boy? And so that day he had been in church and he was trying to get out the aisle and felt that heavy hand on his shoulder and it was the, the new preacher. And turns around and looks at him and the preacher says those words. What's your name, boy? 
Who's your father? And said, he died inside in that moment. He just died. It's, it's the question he never wanted to face, the question he never wanted to answer. And, and at that moment, the preacher said it in his big preacher voice, you know, and then the whole church, everybody just got quiet. It was awkward. People knew. They knew and they could feel the boy's shame. They could feel the boy's embarrassment. They knew that the new pastor didn't know. He didn't mean that. Anyway, Ben says in some moment, I don't know if the, the preacher like realized what he had done, realized you know, how he embarrassed the boy. I, I, I don't know. But Ben Hooper said that the pastor said, what's your name, boy? Who's your father? And he stopped for a minute, and then he said, wait. I know who you are. I know your family. There's a strong family resemblance. You're a child of God. You belong to Jesus. Later in his life, Ben Hooper would say, if that preacher that day had not told him that, If that preacher that day had not said, you're a child of God, you belong to Jesus. He said, I never would have amounted to anything. The preacher said, you're a child of God, you belong to Jesus. And then he said these words, these big words for a little boy. He said, now go out there and claim your inheritance. That's what he said. Go out there and claim your inheritance. And that's what Ben Hooper did with the rest of his life. You're a child of God. You belong to Jesus. Now go claim your inheritance. Ben Hooper says those words changed his life. That's what we're talking about. Life change. There's certain things in this life you never had any choice in. Don't choose your family. None of us chose to be born Adam lived his story, as it turned out, we've lived his story too. What Paul wants you to understand here, because of what Christ has done for us, you didn't have a whole lot of choice in being born into Adam's family and living Adam's story, but here's the thing. You can live Christ's story now. The entire story of your life rewritten. Past chapters erased. A whole new future for you. Do you understand? I know you were born a daughter, a son of Adam and Eve. Me too. But you know what? Because of Jesus, you can be a child of God. You can belong to him. I'm telling you. If you belong to Jesus, go out there and claim your inheritance. Claim your inheritance. Pray with me.